Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30 with our students. So I hope that this sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today. Thanks for listening. Daniel chapter 6. Before I start there, I'm going to read... Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. This is a prophecy hundreds of years, many years I should say, because I don't know the exact, many years before Daniel. And listen to the prophet's words and how this relates to Daniel. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, Fear not, even though you're going into exile, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire in the exile, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel your Savior. Cool prophecy. Israel, God's people, are in the exile. They've been ripped out of their home. You guys know this, all right? But for those of you that are here for the first time, this is the context. They are now backed into a foreign land because of their sin. They committed spiritual adultery. They chose other idols instead of God. And figuratively, the exile is like the lion's den. It's a place where God is not there. They are surrounded by pagans, anti-Christian government, anti-Christian religion that are devouring their faith. And in fact, the lion was the symbol of Babylon. Did you know that? And so we hear the story of the lion's den. God's people are discouraged. They're suffering. And they're on the verge of giving in, of leaving the faith. And I don't know about you, but I've been in places where I've been discouraged like that. I could relate. And the book of Daniel was written to be a sweet comfort to them, and hopefully a sweet comfort to you. Hopefully to show them and to show you that even with all the mess of this world, the book of Daniel is going to help you, is trying to help you see through it and over it to God, who really is on the throne, who is sovereign, who's in control. That even in the midst of your suffering, your trials, and what's going on in our world, that God is really in control. He is sovereign, and He is working all things for the good of those who love Him. And three weeks ago, I wanted to focus in on the characteristics of God's pilgrims. Because we we are pilgrims. We don't live here. We're on a journey to the heavenly city, and one day God will bring us there by faith alone and Christ alone. And so we looked at three characteristics of God's exiles or pilgrims. And we learned first that Daniel, he was faithful. He was the most faithful in all the kingdom. He obeyed God rather than man when they said they made a law saying that he cannot pray to any God or ask any man for help except for king. The king, Daniel gets on his knees and he still prays, showing that the reason why he's made it through The 70 years of exile is because of his prayer life. He traveled through life on his knees, right? That's what we looked at three weeks ago. And we're going to see another three characteristics of 
God's pilgrims, of how we are to live in this fallen world in the midst of suffering and trial and heartbreak. And so let's leave off, in ver- let's, let's read verses 10 through 17. If, let me remind you that Daniel was uh, the Medo-Persian Empire overtook Babylon. Look at ver- verse, 20, uh, verse 30 of chapter 5. That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom at about 62 years old. And so then Darius puts Daniel as third in command over 120 other uh, politicians, if you will, other people. And Daniel's spirit was excellent. He was achieving, uh, he was the most faithful. And all those men under him were jealous. And so like what jealous people do, they conspired against him. They, they plotted to kill him. But they couldn't find anything, any sin in him. Any, they, he was blameless. And so what they do is they make up a phony law that, and they convince the king, Darius, to put this law into action that if anyone prays to God or ask a man for help except for the king will be thrown into a lion's den. Look at verse 10. Here's where we leave off. Then Daniel knew that the document had been signed. So Daniel knew this is going to happen. And so he went into his house where he had windows in the upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He knew that he would die if he did this, and he did it anyway. Verse 11. Then these men came by agreement, and they found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction or the law, O king, did you not sign an injunction or a law that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into a den of lions? The king answered and said, This stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. They kind of tricked him. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles of Judah, it's a racial slur there, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction or the law that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king realized what they have done. And when he heard these words, he was much distressed because Daniel's faithful. He's a faithful servant. And so he's in much distress and he set his mind to save Daniel, to deliver Daniel. And look at what it says. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Verse 15. Then these men came by agreement after the day is up to the king. And they said to the king, Know, O king, that this law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. There's nothing you could do. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. The first thing that we learn in the text 
is that God's pilgrims recognize, they recognize the powerlessness of the world to save. They recognize the powerlessness of the world to save. Daniel was at the top of his class, and those underneath him conspired to kill him. They tried to find fault in him, and they couldn't. And so their evil hearts devised the plan to trick the king into condemning Daniel to a pit. So the lion's den can be translated pit or grave. And in verse 11, they catch Daniel praying, petitioning, making his pleas before God. And what does that show us about Daniel and his character? He knew what would happen, and yet he's still praying. He knew he would die for this. Why? Why does he pray? Because he knows that there's only one power. There's only one power he recognizes that can save. And it's not the world. It's not Darius. It's not his character. It's not his good works. It's no law or his prestige or any person in the kingdom but God alone. That's what prayer is. It's getting on your knees and saying, I need help and you're the only one that can save me, God. So Daniel knew that. He recognized who was in control. He recognized who can save. And that is completely contrasted with the king Darius, the most powerful king in all of the world at this time who has zilch power, zero power to save Daniel. We see the powerless of the world to save. Verse 14 and 16, did you not catch it? King Darius, think about it, he has all the riches, all the wealth, all the power, and yet he could not save Daniel? Verse 14 tells us that he set his mind to deliver Daniel. (laughs) And it says that he even labored until the sun went down. He spent all day, all day working and toiling and laboring to save him. I wonder what he did. What do you think he did? He probably used all of his resources to try to save Daniel. He probably, you know, maybe the first thing that he did, perhaps Darius cried out to his false gods, his pagan gods, the gods of the Medes and the Persians, save Daniel until he realized that that's not going to work because no other religion other than the Christian God can save. It's futile. It's worthless. And so he realizes not even his gods can save. And so perhaps then he tries to make an amendment to the law. Well, if my gods can't save, well, then maybe I'll try to change the law. Maybe I'll make an amendment so that Daniel can be saved, only to realize that there's no law, there's no government intervention that he can do that can save Daniel. And isn't that true of us today? There's no government intervention that can save you. There's no false god that can save you. So when that didn't work, maybe then he began to appeal to the character of Daniel. Look how faithful he's been. Look at the good works. He is the Mother Teresa of the ancient world. He's, he's so good. He's served for 70 years, right? He, look at all the good things that he's done. Are you sure you want to put this man to death? Not even that would save him. No good works would save Daniel. But maybe Darius, he's got a lot of money. 
So maybe he'll use his money to buy Daniel out of salvation. Maybe he'll, he'll bribe his way, uh, bribe the other people there to save Daniel, but not even money could buy salvation. See, no religion, no policy, no good works, no money, no human king or celebrity can save you from death. Nothing can save Daniel. Dear friends, what do we learn from this? Here we see a picture of the natural state of the world and of the natural human heart. The human heart will devise as many plans as it can to save you or to bring satisfaction to your life or some sort of joy, but it cannot do that. Darius is helpless. The world is powerless and you are powerless to save yourself. The world will make promises and say, if you pursue this, if you pursue this avenue or this sport or this, uh, I don't know, career, then you'll have satisfaction. But it's just like an empty promise, just like in Star Wars Episode 2 and 3 when Darth Sidious makes an empty promise to Anakin saying, I know someone who could raise your mother from the dead or could, or could raise the dead, right? And Anakin's tempted with this only to find out that his mom still dies. It's baseless. Some of you Star Wars people are like, well, actually, there's, you know, okay, we could talk about it later. (laughs) Anakin is powerless to save his mom, just like the natural man of this world has no power to save himself. They're in bondage to sin. Listen to Jesus' words. He says this in John 8, 34. He says, truly, truly, those who practice sin are a slave to sin. They're in bondage. And the apostle John in 1 John says, Do not love the world. The world is passing away and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Wow. The world has no power to give you what you need. Salvation from sin and death. And what's crazy, did you catch this? Is that even the pagan, false, religious, teaching, believing king realizes that. (laughs) Look at verse 16. I believe. The king commanded, the king tried and, he, and he, couldn't, he couldn't save Daniel. And so what does he cry out to Daniel? He says, may your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. A pagan, wicked king realized that only the God of the Bible can save. Have you recognized that? That's pretty astonishing. Have you recognized that? That you have no power in and of yourselves to bring you to heaven, to save you. The world is kind of like a massive store. It has so many goods. It has everything that you could ever want. It's like last week I went to go get something at Farm and Fleet. The store is filled with so many different things except for the very thing that I needed. Isn't that true of the world? It has so many things that it could offer you except for the very thing that you need, which is forgiveness and salvation from sin and death. It cannot save you from the pit of hell. It can't save you from a grave. There's nothing Darius could do to save Daniel from the grave of lions or the pit of lions. And so we need to recognize the powerlessness of the world to save. Secondly, secondly God's pilgrims are controlled by faith and not fear. As we walk through life, we are controlled by faith and not fear. 
In the text, don't you see a plain contrast? What is King Darius like versus Daniel? It's pretty astonishing. Darius, if you look at verse 14, what does it say? Look at verse 14 with me. It says, The king, when he heard these words, was much distressed. Right? He's distressed. He's worried. He's worried. He doesn't know what to do. He, he tries to then fix his problems by laboring all day to fix the problem here. Look at verse 18. What does it say about the king? The king is so distressed that he went to his place and spent the night fasting, and no diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. How many of you have had a sleepless night because you're worried and anxious? That's not fun. I'm right there with you. He's filled with fear, distress. Look at verse 20. We'll even continue on here. Look at verse 19. Then at daybreak, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den where Daniel was. And he cried out in a tone of anguish. He's in anguish. So what characterizes this powerful king that has everything in the world is fear. Whereas Daniel, he seems kind of calm. <laughs> He's praying. He's taken, and he, he seems like he's fine. Why? How can Daniel have such confidence in the face of death like that? You're like, I want that? And why is it that King Darius, who has everything, is so filled with fear? Why? What is it that separates the two? Well, Paul gives us the answer in 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 7. He says this, For God, talking to a believer, gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And the word fear there that Paul uses means cowardice or fearfulness. And what he's saying is that the Holy Spirit is not characterized by giving you fear. One of the fruits of the Spirit is not fear. Amen? It's not there. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is not anxiety or worry, okay? But rather, love and self-control. So if God the Holy Spirit is not the source of fear, then what is? Have you ever thought about that? What is the source of your fear and your anxiety? Two things. One, your creatureliness. I don't know if that's a word creatureliness, that you're made by God and you're a creature, you're a finite being, and everyone fears. There's not one person on the planet that doesn't fear, and you know what? That fear speaks to something. It says something. It says, it recognizes that you are not in control and you are not God. I think fear, that's a good apologetic, that if someone is fearful, you ask them, why? Why are you fearful? Well, ultimately, I think it could be brought to the fact that it's because they're made in the image of God. Fear means that we're not God. Second, as sinful creatures, fear stems from our sinful nature and Satan and the world. Anxiety disorders and constant worrying is not from the spirit, but is from the flesh, okay? It's not. It's from the fallen world. And this is why all throughout scripture, you see the angel coming to God's people saying, fear not, fear not, do not be anxious. Why? Because God has not given Christians a spirit of fear. As Christians, we are to be known for our faith, which produces love. Whereas worldly fear, if you think about it, causes panic. 
causes panic, disorder, worry, and the list goes on and on. Did you know that fear has actually been labeled a social contagion? It's kind of like COVID in a different sense. It's contagious. Like, remember when the pandemic started? What happened to all the toilet paper? Like, people freaked out, right? And they, they started, they went to the store, and they got all the supplies that they can to bunker up because they're going to, you know, it's fear. And fear spread to everyone. I'm sure I felt it. I did. Fear is a contagion. Fear does not come from God. And a lot of times, fear is demonic. It can be. It can be. When I'm afraid of a spider, I'm not, you know, <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about here, okay? I am afraid to die. There are certain things that it's okay to be afraid of. That's not what I'm saying. Hear me out. But fear spreads, and it's not of God. I mean, how many, how many of you know someone? How many of you could say, you know, I've made the best decisions in my life when I'm just filled with fear and anxiety? No, no, right? You usually make some pretty poor decisions, right? You think wrong about life and about where you're at. I've been there. Fear caused me, causes me to do th- things that I shouldn't all the time. I'm not wise. Yet in the face of te- terrible, a terrible trial, Daniel is calm. Why? That doesn't mean that maybe Daniel was afraid to die, but in a sense, he is not, sh- he's not controlled by fear. He's steady. Why? Because he knows that there is a God who is in control, and who is sovereign, who has ordained all things to pass, and he will be faithful to his promises whether he lives or dies. He's not living for this world. Therefore, the world is easy for Daniel to give up. And it actually emboldens him and gives him courage. He's filled with a fear of God, and therefore he doesn't fear anything else. There's something about that. I'm not saying that you can't be afraid of anything, but I am saying don't be a fool. Fear can make you foolish, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit are characterized by self-control. They are calculated. They are discerning. They look at God's word and they make decisions based off of God's word. They fear God more than they fear government. They're self-controlled. They're like Daniel. Christians are to be characterized by their trust in the sovereignty of God. And so if you fear, learn to train your mind to trust in God's sovereignty. We are to be filled with faith and not fear. And this goes into my next point. What what are we to have our faith in? Yes, into the sovereignty of God, but also in God's power to save. That's my last point. God's pilgrims believe that salvation belongs to the Lord. This is what governed Daniel. This is such an amazing passage. I love this. You're going to love this. You really will. Because I know that you guys are young theologians, all right? And you love the Word of God. So here we go. They believe that salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's read on here in verse 19. Then at daybreak in the morning, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. And he came near to the den of where Daniel was, and he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel. There, 
There's the video, right? My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him, God, and also before you, O king, and I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the pit. And so Daniel was taken up out of the grave and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted, believed in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the grave of lions, the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of sin, oh, sorry, of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. See, sin has consequences. It doesn't just affect you. Affects others. Then King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and languages that dwell in the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Those, that's worship language. Why? Why should they tremble and fear? Look at verse 26. For he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. And so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Something to think about here. So hear me out on this. Why is it, I wonder what your answer is, why is it that the most powerful, most wealthy person that has all the access to the things in the world has a sleepless night in his cushy palace while Daniel is at peace as he leans back upon the plush fur of lions? Why is it that Daniel can have peace whereas the man who has everything in this world has no peace? We see it in the text. His peace comes from the literal presence of God's messenger, the angel of the Lord, who shut the mouths of the lions. And as we saw in the text, student, this is the same, or in the video, this is the same angel of the Lord who visited Moses in the burning bush. This is the same angel of the Lord who led God's people out of slavery this is the same angel of the Lord that dwelt the temple and the tabernacle. This is the same angel of the Lord that visited the three men in the fiery furnace who led God's people to destroy the enemy in the book of Joshua. Why does this matter? Because in all these cases, this isn't just a typical angel. No, 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 no. This is the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, God himself. Jesus, the lion from the tribe of Judah, shuts the mouths of the lion. It's pretty cool. Friends, peace doesn't come from having everything the world offers, case in point, King Darius. And if you've been pursuing the world, you need to repent and turn from your sin. It will only lead to death. But peace, rather, peace comes from God in the person of Jesus Christ. Friends, that's what separates Daniel from the king and the men who then are thrown into the judgment. What separates Daniel? Daniel has life. The other men who accused him, they face judgment and death. What was it? 
It says because he had, was found blameless and that he had trusted, verse 21, he had trusted in his God. We believe that salvation belongs to the Lord. See, the point of the book of Daniel and Daniel 6 in particular isn't for us to be like Daniel. Did you know that? I'm not calling for you to be like Daniel necessarily because Daniel was a sinner too. But rather, the chapter 6 is to point your eyes to the source of salvation in the truer and better Daniel. Someone greater than Daniel. And that is Jesus, the angel of the Lord, God himself. And you may ask, how is Jesus better than Daniel? Where's the parallel here? I'll give you nine parallels, okay? This is why you need Jesus. One, Jesus, like Daniel, was conspired against by the chief priests and the elders who tried to kill him. Remember? The conspirators against Jesus could find no corruption in Jesus. He was sinless. They looked and looked and looked. They tried to get him to break the law. But Mark 14, 55 states, they found no sin in him. Daniel, he was found guilty of breaking the law of the Medes and the Persians, whereas the Jews created their own law, which Jesus broke. He didn't break God's law. He broke the Jews' law. Look at this in John 19, 7. The Jews say, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he claimed to be the son of God. Fourth, Darius unsuccessfully tried to save Daniel, just like Pilate unsuccessfully tried to save Jesus. Fifth, just as Daniel trusted in God when he was about to die, so Jesus, with drops of blood running down his face in the garden, said, not my will be done, but yours be done. Six, like Daniel, Jesus then was falsely arrested and instead of a lion's den would be nailed to a cross for, set, for sinners. Seven, and just like Daniel, who was thrown into the pit and grave that was sealed with a stone, so Jesus would die in the place of sinners and be placed into a grave that was sealed with a stone. <laughs> Man, this is just amazing. Eight, but Jesus would not remain dead. But very early in the morning, three days later, he would be found alive. But he is better than Daniel because he survived death. He didn't die. He, he wrote, well, he died, but he rose again. Daniel is dead to this day. <laughs> Jesus is the truer and better Daniel. And he isn't just prospering like Daniel did, but he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and all authority and power has been get, given to him. Jesus is the truer and better Daniel. That's what Daniel 6 is all about. That's what the lion's den is all about. It's about your Savior. It's about Jesus. And his deliverance of his people out of sin and misery. And so if you hear anything tonight, hear this. The only way you could be saved from the pit, not a pit of lions, but the pit of hell, is by believing and trusting in Jesus Christ, your Savior, who came to this world, who lived, died, and resurrected from the dead for sinners. And if you believe and trust in him, the better Daniel, you will be saved. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news of Christmas. And as pilgrims, we believe this truth of the gospel. We hold fast to it, to God's promises in times of trial and trouble and suffering. We hold fast to the word because we know that God has sent a deliverer, a deliverer to deliver us. 
And that might not be from trials specifically in this life for you, Christian, but you know that you will be delivered from death in the life to come. And that truth of the gospel sustains us. It emboldens us. It encourages us. It comforts us on our long, weary travel uh, to the heavenly city, does it not? We need to continually look to Jesus our Savior by faith and trust in Him for salvation so that we don't lose heart in the face of darkness. Look at verse 26. For He is the living God enduring forever. Oh, that we would tremble in fear before this living God enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and His dominion shall be to the end. He that is God delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. He who has saved sinners from the power of sin and death. That's our Lord and Savior. And so let us believe and trust in the God who has the power to save us and who is also with us in our trials as we walk through this weary world. Amen? Amen.